Amen. Well, good morning. Y'all doing well? Do me a favor and open your Bibles to John chapter 19. We're going to be in the book of John in just a little bit. Um, but if you would, I want you to just highlight a few things up here on the screen. The first one is the ways to give. You guys know this. I share this every week, but you, we have giving boxes right there in the back. As you leave, you can give your cash. There's an envelope if you want to put a check or cash in there. You could text 84321, put the amount or whatever it's for, or also you could just give online. Just go to www.nv for new vision, dot church, and you will see that it takes you there. Or on the back of your message notes, you see a QR code. You can just highlight that with your phone. Um, the next thing up here is if you want to, uh, uh, well, next week, by the way, let's, let's talk about next week real fast. Next week, don't forget to switch your clocks forward. It's daylight savings, okay? It's that Sunday where you lose an hour. I know, and God's people said, oh, right? We lose an hour next week, but it's going to be very important because I want you all to make sure you're here. I'm going to continue in the series. I'll be in part four next week. So I'm preaching, I'm being here, but we have a special guest that's going to be with us. My pastor, my district superintendent, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson will be with us. He wants to come and talk with us. He wants to come and pray with us and just discuss the future of New Vision Community Church. So it would be great if y'all came on time, right? <laughs> so if you forget to switch your clock, you might only get the tail end of the service and, and only hear Dr. Johnson. But I want you to stay connected with me on the teaching series that we are continuing, okay? So you got your Bibles open to John 19? John 19, okay, we're going to go there in just a little bit. But friends, let me just say that the single most important lesson that you can learn in your life is this, how to learn to love like Jesus. That's probably the greatest lesson that you can learn in your life, how to learn to love the way that God loves you, the way that God loves us. Friends, God put you on this planet, if you haven't discovered, the whole reason for you being here is for love. And, God, and, and if you don't love, if you don't do that, you miss the entire point of why God created you, why He niched together in your mother's womb, for you to learn to love God with all your heart and to learn to love your neighbor as yourself. As you walk into the foyer, you see the mission statement that is based on the great commandment and the great commission that simply says, love God, love people, and may that love make a difference in the people we minister to. It's that simple. It's that simple. Now, we've, we've been in a series that I'm calling the seven greatest words of love, and we're looking at the last seven statements that Jesus had when he hung on that cross. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at when he was hanging on that cross, we looked at the word of forgiveness. And that's where the first phrase comes and he says to the, to, to, to the father, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Remember that? Just nod your head with me. Yeah, pretend you knew. Okay. And thank you, sir. Thank you. And then the second week, last week, we look at the word of assurance, Right? Where Jesus turns to one of the thieves and he looks at him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And then today, we get to the seventh phrase or the seventh, or the third word, excuse me, the third word and third phrase, which is the word of love. 
And that's where Jesus says to his mother, while he's on the cross, he's hanging on there, and down below him, he says to his mother Mary, while he's dying, and to his best friend John, the apostle who's standing next to his mama, this phrase, let me just set it up before we dive in, okay? Before Jesus went up to the cross and before he was nailed on there. Do y'all remember the story? Remember what happened to Jesus? He was exhausted. Jesus was tired. He was fatigued before he went onto the cross. I mean, he, he was tired because he had been up all night. He had lost blood. Uh, uh, and they arrested Jesus the night before. And by the way, we know there were six trials that he went through in the night. They were all sham trials. They were all fake. You know why they were fake? Because they were all done at night and in secret so they could be pushed through. Three Roman, three Jewish, all shams. So Jesus hadn't had any sleep when he's on the cross. Then after they had arrested Jesus, if you remember that, that night they tortured him and they put a crown of thorns on his head and they mocked him, they beat him, they made fun of him, they spit on him. The Bible says that they pulled a beer hair out of his chin so, so they, just because they were being mean. The Bible says that they scourged him. And by the way, you know what a scourging is? It's like this whip that at the end it has a cat of nine tails. And attached to these tails are bone and glass and metal and all of these things. And Jesus got 39 lashes in the back, which meant because of the, 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 uh, the nine stripes at the end, okay, the nine strips, that meant that Jesus, in those 39 lashings, he got 351 scars on his back before he even goes to the cross for you and me. So imagine this with me. His back is one bloody pulp. And from the loss of sleep and then from the loss of blood, Jesus is stumbling up that hill trying to carry his own cross. And on top of that, do you all remember? The crowd is now mocking him. Same people who a week earlier going, oh, praise Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, right? Now they're mocking him and insulting him. And by the way, if that wasn't enough, all his disciples, where are they? They're gone. They're scared. They have fled. All of them except for one disciple. But yet all of them, they've scattered. Because they're afraid that they're going to be arrested and tortured just like Jesus. Yet now Jesus is on the cross. None of his friends are there except for one. They're all gone. They've all hidden and the only one that shows up, the only people that show up, by the way, let's face it, the first ones are the women. And we're not actually sure how many were there. It's the theologians and, and, and historians think it's anywhere between four to six ladies. And the reason is because so many ladies at that time were named Mary. <laughs> so there was a lot of Marys. And, and we're not exactly sure, so it's getting a little confusing. But we do know that there was a duplications of Marys there. But now Jesus is on the cross, and this is where we get to the third phrase, okay? Listen, listen. Jesus looks down, and he sees his grieving mother and his best friend. And then he quietly says the third phrase. Look at it with me. You got your Bibles? I'm reading from the New International Version. Let's jump down to verse 25 of chapter 19. 
near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, that's Mary, and his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. See how many Marys are already? I've already mentioned three there. Uh, and when Jesus saw his mother there, you know, standing at the foot of the cross, when Jesus saw his mother standing there, and the disciple, which is John, we know that, whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, now here we go, here's the third phrase. You guys ready? Dear woman, here is your son. And then motioning to John, the beloved disciple, he says, "What? here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple John, by the way, who, is, who wrote this gospel, took Mary into his home. From that moment on. Now Mary... We know that by this time, by the time Jesus is crucified, Mary is now a widow. Joseph, her, her husband Joseph, had died a long time earlier. So at this time when Jesus is hanging on the cross and Mary's there at the foot of the cross, Mary is a widow. And the traditions of history and everything tell us that after Jesus had died on the cross, that she lived another about 12 years, historians tell us. But during that 12-year period after Jesus died and resurrected, the Apostle John is the one who took care of Mary because of the statement I just shared with you. Mother, this is your son. And John, this is your mother. And you are to take care of each other. Now, friends, this might seem like an unimportant phrase to you today, but, you know, mom, here's your new son, and, and, and brother John, this is your new mama. It might seem like it's unimportant to you, but listen, listen to me. Jesus never says anything unimportant, right? So this is actually very, very crucial for us to remember. See, what God is doing here, he's showing this deep concern, Jesus Christ, and deep concern of God uh, um, for when you and I are in pain, when other people are in pain, it shows God's compassion, it shows God's love, and it shows God's concern when you and I are in pain. And the first thing that we learn from this phrase, and let's face it, you know, mother, here's your son, and brother John, here's your mama. What we learn from this phrase, friends, we learn two very important truths. The first thing we learn is what it means to be like Jesus, to love like Jesus. When we fully understand what we're listening to right in this passage, it'll change our life. And the second thing that we learn from what Jesus does when we're in pain, and this is when you're in pain, is that we know that God is with us. There's a reason why we sang the songs we did today. It is good, good father. It is sweet to trust in Jesus. Amen? I want you to learn. And what I'm going to teach you today, friends, I want to just say this up front before we just kind of dive in, all right? But what I'm going to teach you today, you cannot possibly do on your own power. You can't love like Jesus 
by yourself. And I'm going to unpack this a little bit more, and you're going to see this. You don't have it. I don't have it within me, and you don't have it within you. You can only do this by God's power. And like I said, we're going to come back to that at the end of this message this morning. But you can't love other people the same way that God loves you without the power of God in you. You can't do it on your own. It is humanly impossible. And we'll come back to that in just a little bit. But in order to learn to love like Jesus, friends, I've got to do four things. So I just want to run through these, okay? I don't want to take much of your time, but here's number one. Write this down. To learn to love like Jesus first is I must care for my own family. The first thing is I must care to, uh, for my own family. Now, this is obvious. I've got to learn to love like Jesus. I must care for my own family. Now, friends, love is not something you say. It's something that you do. It's a verb. It's action. It's a choice. And in the middle of all of Jesus' pain, Jesus does three things for his mother. And these are the same three things that Jesus expects for you and that God expects from you and I to do with our very own family. Now, look at that. So what I'm going to teach you, I'm going to learn to love like Jesus. There are three ways we do this. The first one, write this down. The first thing is by paying attention. The first way I learned to love Jesus and care for my own family is I've got to pay attention. My daughter, Sophia, not long ago I was doing this. I know none of y'all would ever do this, but the imperfect father I am, I was like this. And I hear her call me. She goes, Daddy. And I said, uh-huh. Didn't even look. Daddy. Yeah, baby, what's what? What's going on? I was doing texting or emailing or something stupid. And, uh, Daddy, yes, honey, what is it? And then she puts her hand on my phone. And then she grabs my cheeks. Look at me. <laughs> Friends, attention is the greatest gift that you could ever give anybody. Why? Because your attention is your life. When you give, when I give you my attention, what I'm doing is I'm giving you a part of who I am because my time is my life. I can always go and make more money. I can always go and buy more things. I can always go and get more stuff. But friends, I can't bottle up time and then pull it out when I need more. I can't do that. We all have the same amount of time every single day. So when I give you my attention, when I give you my time, I'm giving you part of who I am. And so Jesus, the first thing that he does, the first way that he shows love and care for his own family, and he does this by paying attention. He notices, hey, mom's right here. And he does this by paying attention in all of his pain. And all of he, he looks down in the midst of him, in the, in, in the pain of those nails through his hands and the feet. And all of that, he looks down at mom. He notices her. And in this situation, listen, he honors his mother. Look at this verse from Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Can we read it together out loud? Here we go. Honor your father and mother. And God's people said, amen. Do you, do you know what's happening in Exodus chapter 20? Ten commandments, y'all. 
That's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your mother and father. And by the way, this is one of the Ten Commandments. That it's the only commandment that comes with a promise. You can all look it up later. So you pay attention. That's the one way to show love by paying attention. Here's the second one. I want you to write this down. The way that we show love like Jesus to our family is this. By meeting practical needs. By meeting practical needs. And then I said, Joseph... Joseph here for Mary, she's gone. he's gone. He's died already. So Mary's a lot older now, you know, in her late 40s, most likely. People didn't live that long because there were vaccines and cures for diseases and medicine like they are today. But Mary, she's much older now. She's poor. She's a widow. And what does Jesus have to give her? What does Jesus have to give his own mother? Nothing. See, friends, Jesus doesn't have anything to give. He's, Jesus isn't rich. He doesn't have wealth in the bank. He has no home. He, he doesn't even have clothes except for the ones he still has on because they stripped him, gambled off his clothes, right? So what can Jesus, while he's hanging on the cross, give his aged mother at that point? Let's face it, he doesn't have an inheritance. He doesn't have anything else to give a widowed mother. What can he give her? All that Jesus can give her is a friend. And he entrusts his mother to the care of his closest disciple, John, his best buddy, his best friend. Now, friends, it's interesting to me, and I'll, I'll just kind of just throw this in here, okay? Mary was a great woman. She was a godly woman. We know that because the Bible says that she was a righteous woman. But she was not God. We need to understand that, friends, because Jesus is on the cross. Jesus does not pray to Mary. In, in fact, he knows that she needs help. And and while he's on the cross, his last dying moments, he's providing for his own mother. She's not providing for him. He is providing for her. And he knew that after he died, she would need other people, other people's protection and care. And, and that's why Jesus said, John, I want you to take care of mom. John, I want you to take care of mama. Now, here's what the Bible says about meeting practical needs in your family. You guys with me? Look at 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, verses 3 and 4. L look at it with me. It says this. Show respect for widows who really are all alone. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, they... By the way, pause real quick. Y'all remember this letter? The Apostle Paul is writing to a church, and he writes it to their pastor, Timothy, this young pastor. So this is a letter to the church. And he says, church, y'all should show respect to the widows and take care of them. But then he says, if the widow has children, and if that widow has grandchildren, those kids and those grandkids, look what it says, should learn first to carry out their religious duty toward their family. By the way, would you circle that phrase, religious duty? Did you know that you and I have a religious duty? Because it says, in this way, in the way of taking care of the widowed, in this way, 
We are repaying their parents and grandparents because that is what pleases God. You want to please God? Take care of your elderly father. You want to please God? Take care of your elderly mother. Now, I, I think all of us in here, I mean, we know, we know that we need to take care of our kids. But I don't think we often teach that the scriptures also say that we're supposed to take care of our aging parents. And, and I wouldn't doubt that there's probably some of y'all that you're in the middle of this. Some of you watching online, you, you, you are in the middle of this process where you're taking care of your aging parents. Love always begins at home. Let me say that again. Love always begins at home. Let's look at this next verse. You guys with me? Can you say amen? Amen. Okay, look at this 1 Timothy 5.8. 1 Timothy 5 says this, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Uh-oh. Hey, hey. I didn't write that, okay? <laughs> Don't shoot me. Don't shoot the messenger. But that's what the Word of God says. That is a powerful, powerful verse. It says, he is denied the faith, and he's worse than a heathen or an unbeliever if you aren't taking care of your parents. You're not taking care of your family. Loving like God, loving like Jesus, friends, listen, is taking care of a people who can't take care of you back who can't give you anything back at that point in that stage of their life. We show love like Jesus by honoring our family. How? Well, we pay attention to our, our family. We, we meet practical needs for our family. But here's the third way. Write this down. The third way is by giving emotional support. This is by giving emotional support. Now, this is a very, very tender scene as we're looking at Jesus on the cross and right there as he talks to his mother and his disciple. It's a very tender scene when you actually think about Jesus and his mom in these final moments of his life. He's hanging on the cross. Mary is heartbroken. She's watching her son up on the cross suffering incredible agony. Now, can you imagine being the mother and watching your own child hang on a cross or being tortured. And standing there with Mary is John, Jesus' best buddy. And he's in agony. Jesus is in pain. And John, not understanding why Jesus is going through all this, he knows that Jesus is the Son of God. But why does the Son of God have to go through all of this pain? Why does... The Son of God, the Messiah, the Chosen One, have to put up with all the ridicule and torture and suffering that he's going through. See, and not only that, when you think about it, Mary's entire life is one of emotional pain after another. 
See, we don't, we don't think about that often, right? At Christmas time, we share the Christmas story about, about Mary and his miracle birth, you know, and, and Jesus coming and the angels and the shepherds and all of these great Christmas. But we don't actually talk about the fact that the entire life of Mary was one emotional pain after another. First of all, it's an unexplained birth. Y'all remember that? I mean, G- Mary has never had sex with her fiancé. But now she's pregnant, and she's got to go and tell him, I'm pregnant, <laughs> surprised. And by the way, it's the Son of God. Still marry me. <laughs> and not only that, can you imagine the ridicule? Can you imagine the ridicule of the neighbors? in the community, in the village. Every time she walked by, his little whispers. That's her. I don't know. Would you believe that there was a miracle pregnancy? And not, not only that, you know, you imagine all the ridicule, all the gossip, all the shame that heaped on her in that village. And then not only that, but friends, the Bible tells us that when she goes to dedicate Jesus at the temple. By the way, Jesus is a baby. He's not baptized. Jesus is dedicated. Baptism did not take place, infant baptism did not take place until another 300 years after the Bible was canonized. But we see here that Jesus, when, you know, his first, first few weeks of life, he goes to the temple to be dedicated. And there's a priest there by the name of Simeon. And Simeon does this beautiful ceremony. But then he pulls Mary over to the side and says, Mary, here, let me tell you something. Yeah, that boy right there is going to suffer great pain. And so are you. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> right? I mean, that's what takes place. Simeon delivers this news. He's going to... Uh, go through and suffer through so much pain, and you will as well your entire life. And if that's not enough, oh my goodness. Y'all remember? Jesus is now about two years old. And then all of a sudden, the, 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 the king there wants to say, you know, I don't want anybody else to be king. I've heard that there's a Messiah coming. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill all the babies two years and younger, all the, the, the males, all the boys. So what does Mary and Joseph have to do? They flee. Now, you you know emotional pain? How would it be that you leave knowing that there are babies being killed and murdered because of the baby you're holding in your arms? Emotional pain. And if that wasn't enough, Yes, there is more. Now remember the Bible says that when Jesus, he was getting closer to his time of ministry, that when he was in his own village with his own people, they grabbed him and they were about to throw him off the cliff. How would you like to be, now of course they didn't succeed because that's not how Jesus died, but he he escaped. But how would you like to talk to your neighbor? Hey, can I borrow a cup of sugar? By the way, can you stop trying to throw my son over a cliff? You know, what kind of conversation when you're in the market and have to see all those people who are trying to kill your son? 
Friends, Mary saw the week earlier there on that Palm Sunday how excited the people were. And just a few days later, they're turning their back. She saw, so you, you get a common theme of Mary's life now? Emotional pain after emotional pain after emotional pain. Her entire life. Now her son is on a cross being tortured like a criminal. Yet he wasn't. But being tortured like a criminal, and this is a gruesome, gory, bloody death, friends. Jesus has nail-pierced hands, but Mary, she's got a nail-pierced heart. And Mary, at this moment when Jesus speaks, is in emotional agony. And she, she felt those nails that only a mother can feel as you watch your own son die a slow death. Yes, Mary needed emotional support. And the Bible says this, and as a matter of fact, would you read this next verse with me in Proverbs 17, 17? It's from the message paraphrase. Let's read it out loud together, can we? It says this, friends love through all kinds of weather and families stick together and all kinds of trouble. Isn't that a good verse? That would be a great theme verse for your family. Proverbs 17, 17. Friends love through all kinds of weather, and families stick together and all kinds of trouble. You might just want to circle stick together. Because friends, that's the third way that you show Christ's love to your family. You stick together. You show up, you stand up, you hold up. Like a great mom, Mary is there when all of Jesus' friends flaked out. Mary was there even when everybody else deserted Jesus. Mary is there. That is real love. Now think about it. Do you do that with your children? Do you show up? Do you stand up? Do you hold up? Do you speak up for them? And by the way, while we're at it, since we're talking about families, can I just talk to the men real quick? No one person said amen. Okay, L let me just talk to you guys, okay, real quick. Ladies, you can, you can just, you know, check Facebook or something, whatever it is that you do. But men, I want you to look at this verse with me real quick. Ephesians 5.25. It, it's not in your notes. It's up here on the screen. It's in your Bibles. Ephesians 5.25, so you might want to write that reference. Look what it says. For husbands, this means love your wives. Now, how do you love your wives according to the Scripture? Look what it says. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. I doubt there's a husband here or online watching right now that can actually say that. But that is what God wants every man who is married to his wife to do. Now, I, I know, I get this. Some people get really, really bent out of shape because in the Bible, it makes it very clear that marriage is between one man, one woman for eternity. The Bible makes it very clear that, the, uh, the, that marriage, that the husband is to be the spiritual leader of the family. Don't shoot me, y'all. That's what the Bible teaches. But that does not mean that you're not equal, ladies, okay? 
That does not mean that you're not of equal value. You both are as equally important in that marriage. It just means that you can't have two leaders. And that God has said it, the man is supposed to be the spiritual leader. And the Bible says, husband, you be the leader. But what does a leader do? The leader gets to sacrifice the most. You get that? The leader sacrifices the most. Our church had financial problems starting last summer. I talked to our board. I said, it's time. You guys need to start cutting some salaries. And by October, the district kicked in. And there went all my, my salary. I modeled and led, we got to cut back. Because that's what leaders do. Leaders sacrifice the most. Nobody else has sacrificed most more in this church than my family has. But not only that, friends, listen, listen. The Bible never gives this command to the woman. Hmm. Now, once a scripture is the wife to lay down her life for her husband. <laughs> I'm sorry, I giggle. I didn't mean to giggle that. Lord, I apologize. But not once. See, my wife, Erica, she's not commanded to lay down her life for me. But yet I, as the husband, as the spiritual leader of my home, I am to lay my life down for Erica. That's what leadership is all about. Leadership is sacrifice. Leaders lead in serving. That's learning to love like Jesus. Now, I would say to you husbands, does your wife know that you take a bullet for her? Does your wife know that you would die for her? Friends, I'm trying to learn this every day, every week, every month, every year. This coming December, we're going to celebrate 25 years of marriage, and I'm still trying to figure this out. Trying to learn to love more and more and more like Jesus every day, every year. How do I love my wife? You, you, know, you know, this is not like a, a rabbit trail, but let me just say this as well, friends. God gave me my wife so I could learn Christ-like love, the sacrificial love. That's, that's, by the way, that's why God gave you your spouse. And, and can I dare say this today, friends? Listen, listen. God, the purpose of marriage is not simply to make you happy. And a whole lot of people go into marriage thinking, oh, I'll be so happy. I'll be so complete. You complete me. You know, and all of these things. But friends, marriage, the purpose is not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. It is to make you more Christ-like, to learn to love the way Jesus loved. Unfortunately, a lot of people today would rather divorce than to give up being unselfish. 
You see, if I'm going to learn to love like Jesus first, a place it's, it's, it starts is not in my ministry. If I'm going to learn to love like Jesus, it doesn't start in my ministry. It doesn't start in my preaching. It doesn't start on my mission trips or my small group or my Sunday school class friends. You know where the first place love needs to show up? At home. It starts there. And Jesus on the cross in the middle of pain, he pays attention to his mama. He meets a very, very practical need that she has in the last moments of his life. I'm going to provide for her. And he gives her the disciple emotional support that she actually needed at that very moment. Now, here's the second thing, friends. Let's, let's continue here in our, in our text today. But if we are a practically love, in a practical way, loving like Jesus, it means this. I must, write this down, treat other believers as my family. I must treat other believers as my family. Friends, if all you do is care about your own family, can I just dare say this? It's not enough. Because the person who hasn't come to church doesn't even go to church. The person doesn't even believe in God. They do that as well at home. You see, if you're going to be like Christ, loving, then you must not only care about your family, but you also must care about God's family. Your brothers and sisters in the family of God. And now you, you've heard this old phrase before. I know you have it. Blood, blood is thicker than water. How many of you have heard of that before? Blood is thicker than water, right? That's true. But can I also say this? Grace is thicker than genetics. Because let's face it, physical families, they don't last. There's an enormous amount of reasons why physical families don't last. People grow up. People move away. People pass away. People die. People get divorced. There, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why the physical families don't last. But your spiritual family, the church, going to live forever. Did you know that? And if you follow Jesus, guess what? The Bible says we are a family. We are a family. And the Bible is clear how the family of God is supposed to treat each other. You got your notes with me? You, got, you, you following along? Write down this phrase, this, this reference. Matthew 12.50. Okay? Write that down. Matthew 12.50. Uh, I put it up here on the screen for you because I knew some of y'all will, will need it because you don't have a pen or the notes here. But it says this. For whoever does the will of my Father is in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So that makes us related, right? Friends, you, the Bible, according to the Scripture, are to treat me as family. And I am to treat you as my family. And where do we treat each other as relatives in the family of God? Now look at this next verse in 1 Timothy 5. Look at this next verse, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Do not rebuke an older man in the church, all right? Do not rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as your father. Treat the younger men in your church as brothers, and treat the older women, it's referring to the older women in the church, as your mothers, and treat the younger women 
in the church as sisters with all purity. So what is that verse saying, friends? I've got a lot of brothers and sisters in this church. I've got a lot of brothers in this family. I've got a lot of spiritual sisters in this family. I've got a lot of spiritual fathers. Nobody wants to say they're old ladies, so, you know, but the Bible says I have a lot of spiritual mothers. <laughs> but you have a responsibility to serve. Now, l- l- let me just unpack this a little bit, what Paul is reminding us here when he writes this letter. L- listen, if you're a genuine follower of Jesus, not that you know everything theologically, no, but if you're trusting in Jesus, just like we talked a couple of weeks ago, if you said, remember me, see, yes to Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it says it is your responsibility to serve other believers in the church. To serve them. And you older folks, you are to mentor the younger people and the younger believers in this church. Now, I didn't make that up. Now, I wonder, I often wonder, what would this church like? And I'm, now I'm referring to New Vision Community Church. If we took this to heart. If in the last several years, the older people looked at the younger generation and said, I need to mentor you. I'm going to take the initiative to call you, to check on you, to try to share a meal with you. And how would it be if the younger folk seriously took the mandate of the scriptures and called the older generation and said, hey, you need your yawn, your, your, your yard mode this week? How can I help you? You want me to go get the oil change in your car for you? What can I, how can I serve you? Can you imagine what our church would look like? I don't think that we'd have as many people who have left as they have. And what God is saying to you, I, I, I know, I know, I know, but it, he's telling us it's your responsibility if you call yourself a Christian to serve other people in the church and to mentor the younger generation in the church. Do you guys see the symmetry here that's taking place in this third word that we land today? The word of love. Jesus leaned on Mary as when he was a child. And the Bible tells us that John, the, the beloved disciple, he leaned on Jesus as his disciple. And then, then now it tells us that they lean on each other. We are to be devoted to each other. Look at Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to each other like a loving family. Excel in showing respect for each other. And and I I think that means even sticking up for each other. Let me just point something out here, friends, that that, that is quite interesting. The Bible tells us that Jesus had four half-brothers. Did you all know that? Jesus had four half-brothers, and he's got two half-sisters. Now, Mary was the biological mother of Jesus, but not Joseph. Joseph was a stepdad. But Mary and Joseph, they gone on with having more kids, and Jesus has four brothers and two sisters. If you don't believe me, read Matthew 13, verses 55 to 56. It gives us the names of the men. It doesn't give us the name of the ladies because, you know, 
at that time, they don't give them. But there's, uh, there's, there's James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. All four were Jesus' stepbrothers. Half-brothers, excuse me. Half-brothers. One of these half-brothers was a guy by the name of James. Now, James, he actually wrote a book in the Bible called the book of James. How creative is that? <laughs> Let me write an amen after myself. Uh, this James. But Jesus and his half-brothers, they show up many times throughout the scriptures. And, and these half-brothers and sisters are watching Jesus do all of these different miracles, raise Lazarus from the dead, give sight to the blind, and give ability to walk to the lame, and cure leprosy, and all of these different miracles. They're watching them. Now, it's interesting to me, friends, that as Jesus is dying on the cross, Jesus does not entrust the care of his mother to his half-brothers and sisters. Why? I mean, have you ever thought about it? Why in the world didn't you? I mean, there's brothers and sisters right there. Just entrust him. You're the oldest child on the cross. You entrust him to this. But why? Because none of his brothers and sisters were believers. None of them at that very time, you notice in John 7, 5, it says, none of them believed at that moment. None of them had become believers that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the anointed one that was going to come back, die for the sins of the world. None of them believed that. It wasn't until the resurrection where Jesus comes back and goes, I'm back, y'all. And he has meals and he's talking and he's saying, I'm back. Friends, if my brother died and came back to life, yeah, you, that would make me a believer. But if I didn't see that, I'm going, yeah, dude, you're not anything special. You know, right? But watching Jesus come back to life after I saw him die on the cross, that'd make a believer out of me. But Jesus, because at that moment, he didn't entrust his mama to his half-brothers and sisters. He entrusted the care of mom to John, the disciple. Because John was a mature believer. Friends, we are to give special attention to other people in the church. Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes another letter in the book of Galatians. Look at this, chapter 6, verse 10. Look at what he says. Whenever we have the opportunity to help anyone, we should do it. But we should give special attention to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, where does the special attention go? To the family, the church family. Now, it's great to, to have all of these special interests and all of these other things that you want to help. But where does the help supposed to start? In the church. Not too long ago, I was teaching my maturity class. This, you know, talked about God's game plan, the second quarter of God's game plan, where you are getting your training. And in there, I talked about giving a tithe. Then it starts at the church. 
the place where you worship. What does Malachi bring to the place of worship? And I had someone come up to me and goes, man, I guess I can't be a member. Because I don't tithe here. I give my tithe to you know, Pacific Way, to the Red Cross. I give it to this. I give it to all that. But yet, friends, we know in Scripture, it says, wherever you worship, that's where your tithe goes. Anything above your tithe, that's an offering. Yeah, we ought to be generous. But it's a special attention to those who belong to the family of believers. And one of the things that we're supposed to give, friends, is also emotional support. Look at this next verse. Just the uh, same chapter of Galatians 6, but just a few verses earlier, it says this. Share each other's troubles and problems, and in this way obey the law of Christ. So, so number three, if I'm going to learn to love like Jesus, you know, we're supposed to carry, carry each other's burdens, but learn to love like Jesus. Remember, this is the most important lesson in life, to learn to love like Jesus. Learning to learn to love God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my strength. And to love my neighbor as myself. Love. Love God. Love people. So the love that is in us and through us makes a difference. Amen? Here's number three. And this one gets a little bit harder. So we're going to give up the intensity here. Okay? To learn to love like Jesus, I must learn to see others' pain when I'm in pain. You write that down. The third thing, if I'm going to love like Jesus, is I must learn to see other people's pain when I am in pain. Now, remember, I told you at the start of this message that you can't do what I'm talking about here in your own human strength, on human power. You could only do what I'm sharing with you today with the power of God in you. Let me just say this. Friends, when I'm in pain... I'm not thinking about you. Does that make sense? When I'm home, throwing up, have diarrhea, whatever, and I'm in the bathroom, I'm not going, hey, I wonder what the church is doing right now. (laughs) But no, I'm not thinking about you. If I just have surgery and I'm in deep, deep pain, it's not in my nature to be thinking about you. Let's face it, when I'm in pain, and when you're in pain, so don't throw me under the bus, when we're in pain, right, we totally become very self-centered. I don't know about you, but friends, I want to be babied when I'm in pain. I want Erica to come and pamper me, come and fan me. I want her to peel the grapes and feed them to me, right? And you don't? Come on. When you're in pain, let's face it, you're very, very uh, uh, so... Um, self-centered. Pain makes us self-centered people. But God says, if you're going to learn to love and love like Jesus loves, like God loves you, like Jesus loves you, then you've got to learn to see other people's pain when you yourself are in pain. Now think about this. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's in enormous pain, emotional, physical, spiritual pain, because he's carrying the weight and the sins of the entire world on his shoulders, and he's dying in those dying moments. What does Jesus do? He notices the pain of other people. Two weeks ago, 
He sees the crowd as they're in pain, spiritual pain. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The pain of the thief next to him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. You notice this is his mom. He's not thinking about himself and his agony. Let's face it, when we're in pain, we just think about us. We go into a shell and we become very self-centered. But the Bible tells us, look, 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 in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, your attitude, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to have the attitude of Jesus? What does it mean for me to have the attitude of Christ? It means that when I'm in pain, I still look around at other people who might be worse than I am. I look out who else is in pain. Now, friends, I know, I know, this is the hard one. But how do you look at the pain of others when you yourself are in so much agony and pain? Look what it says in 1 Peter. Look what the Scripture says. 1 Peter 4.1. Since Christ suffered and underwent pain, you must have the same attitude he did. You must be ready to suffer too. For remember, when your body suffers, sin loses its grip. Sin loses its power. God says, I want to take whatever pain that you're in, and I want you to use it to help other people. In December 30th of 2000, uh, 2003, my wife gave birth to this beautiful baby girl named Rebecca. And man, I had all these dreams about Rebecca. I love Rebecca so much. Prayed for her future, prayed for her future guy that would steal her heart that she would marry. I, I love that little girl so much. And then my, nine months later, I'm holding her as she's taking her last breath. Word got out to these different churches that we had pastored and been a part, all the way up to Oregon, and people drove hours overnight just to be with us the next day. And I'll never forget that one couple that came from Oregon, one of them, their little girl had passed away from cancer when she was about six or seven. Our, our music pastor, her boy was a teenager in my youth group when I was a youth pastor up there, and he had passed away from cancer. People who had lost children came and ministered to us while we were in our pain. This coming December of this year, Rebecca would have been 20 years old. But can I tell you, in the last 18 years, 19 years since she passed, how many times the Lord has used my story and Erica to minister to other people who are in the exact same position. Just a couple of months ago, I was at the Methodist Hospital, at the medical center. 
And I get a page, I get a, phone, uh, I get a call, says there was a 34-week baby that died in mom and, and by station that passed away. Can you come be with the family? Do, do you think that the pain didn't come back up? Of course it did. But do you think I was able to communicate the comfort of God and what he had shared me to this people? Absolutely. And God has done that over and over and over again. Friends, I'm not perfect. You guys probably already know that. Probably learned that in day one. Or maybe if you're listening and watching it for the first time, you're realizing, yeah, dude, I can tell. You're not perfect. But I'm trying as best as I can to let the perfect love of God use me. Is that okay? We finish this real quick. Here's number four, okay? You guys ready? Write this one down. To love like Jesus, I must meet others' needs, even if mine aren't met. Whoa. And this is probably the most difficult one of all because we meet other people's needs, even though my own personal need isn't being met. I've got a need at work, but not being met. I got a need at home, but it's not being met. I got a need at church, but it's not being met. I got a need in society, but if we're going to love like Jesus Christ, even at the last dying moments on the cross, I've got to learn to learn how to meet other people's needs, even when mine are not being met. You see, it's interesting to me. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and even at the very end, he is thinking about other people. I mean, Jesus doesn't say, whoa, my pain is too great. I can't help you right now. Excuse me, I'm being crucified. Can't you see? No, no, no. Jesus doesn't say that. Friends, what I am teaching you today is the exact opposite of what the culture of America teaches. Kingdom values in many ways are the opposite of American values. American values say the more important you are, the less you're expected to care for individuals. You know, let me, let me unpack this, how, how this is true. Let's say that I'm on 1604. I'm supposed to exit Nacogdoches because that's where I live off Nacogdoches. But I get a flat tire. So I have to pull over. Okay. Nobody is expecting if the governor of Texas is driving by because he's headed towards Dallas. Nobody's expecting that the governor is going to pull over and help me change a tire. He's too important. But that's an American value. The more important you are, the less you're expected to serve. Far less Joe Biden to help me. Right? But see, those are not kingdom values. That, those are American values. The more important you think you are, the less expected. But Jesus said, if you want to be great, you've got to be the servant of all. The greater you are in the kingdom, the more of a servant you are. And so you take time to serve. So what does it mean to be like Jesus? Look at these last verses with me. In Romans 15, verses 2 and 3 says, Each one of us needs to look after the good of other people around us, asking yourself, how can I help? Do you do that, friend? Do you come to church and go, hey, how can I help? How can I serve? What can I do? I was pastoring a church, and it's not the one you're thinking. I was pastoring a church one time. 
And I had a guy come up to me and give me an empty toilet paper roll, the, the, the little brown piece. There's no more toilet paper in the men's restroom. Wow. Open that closet, some more toilet paper. Would you go fill it up, please? Could you go serve and, and do that? They were happy because he was expected, you know. But, but that's the attitude of a lot in America. How am I going to be served? What's in it for me? What, what is, what's going to be done for me? I want you to write this phrase down, friends. Look, look up here on the screen. It's here. Look at this down. Look for Jesus disguised as hurting person. Look for Jesus disguised as a hiding person. So in your life, when you're going around the places, maybe at the water fountain at work tomorrow or, or at the soccer field maybe, or I don't know, in the ball field, or, or you're at the grocery line at HEB, or maybe you're at your favorite coffee shop waiting in line, look for people who are hurting. Friend, you will find Jesus. Because Jesus shows up in hurting people. One of the reasons, friends, I think I love the chaplain ministry very much is because I'm dealing with people who are hurting, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Look for Jesus in the hurts of people around you. The Bible says this in Romans 12, 13. When God's children are in need, you be the one to help them. Get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or, if they need it, lodging for the night. Let me just close this morning's service with this, friends. Can I do that? I don't doubt there's some of you listening in right now, some of you online right here in the congregation. You're in pain. Yeah, you might come to church all dolled up, your hair is combed and nice, you look pretty, makeup's on and all this, you've got your fine stuff. But I wouldn't doubt, there's many of you here today or watching online, you've got to hurt. And maybe like Mary, you are grieving the loss of a child. I want you to write these three things down, okay? When you're grieving, remember... That Jesus cares about your pain. He does care about you. Remember and accept the love from others when you're in pain. You need to accept the love of others. Don't just stuff it down and don't think you're a lone ranger. You can do the other one. The second one, Patty. Accept the love from others. And then the third one, look for somebody else to help. Look for somebody else to help. Stand with me, would you? I, I, I don't know what's brought you to church today and, and, and what kind of pain you're carrying, but can I just say this as we close in prayer? Both Mary and John would have missed the blessings of what Jesus said if they were not at the cross. 
Can I say that again? Both Mary and John would have missed the blessing if they were not at the foot of the cross of Jesus. And friends, at the foot of the cross of Jesus is what changes lives, is what comforts lives, it's what helps us lives, it's what gives us the power to carry on. And if that is you today, I want to pray with you and dismiss you in this prayer. Okay, would you bow your heads? Jesus, I don't doubt there are many people here in pain who are watching online or here with us. We want to care about them, Lord, like you do. Thank you for these lessons that you have modeled and your dying moments on the cross. Now, friends, with your heads bowed, just in the quietness of your own heart, would you pray this? Just say this in your mind. Dear Jesus, thank you for caring for my pain. Jesus, help me to receive love from other people. But also help me to offer love. Because from this day moment, Lord, I want to really learn to love. True love. I want to learn to love the way that Jesus loved. And it is true, God, I cannot possibly do these things without the power of Jesus in my life. So Christ, in this week, help me to pay attention to the people that are in pain or in grief around me. Lord, I know if I, if I do care, I will be aware of the pain. So Lord, I'm going to pray the prayer, please. Put someone in my heart this week that I could look to and help. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, Lord. I want to learn the very purpose of love, purpose of life, and that is to love like you. I humbly ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, listen real quick, friends. Okay. Next week, we get to part four, okay? And this is the phrase, listen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the next phrase we get there, and that is going to be the word of substitution. Oh, boy, you want to hear that. You want to be there. Don't forget, friends, our district superintendent will be here next week to, to hear from us, to pray with us, and talk about the, the future of New Vision Community Church. But can I just pray this prayer from the book of Numbers? May the God bless you and protect you. And may the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Go with the Lord. We'll see you next Sunday.